you, brother. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, indeed. We are so thankful. Well, today's service is going to look just a little bit different. Uh, If you haven't picked up on that already, uh, I will give you a little bit of a cue that you should see a little red piece of paper, a half sheet of paper in your uh, pew somewhere. You're going to need that a little bit later. Just want to make you aware. If you don't see one, you might want to find your way to find one. There should be some toward the back as well, but you will need that in just a little bit. But today, the message, as I said, is going to look a little bit different. We're going to have two parts, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to finish out with the third part. But we want to do a couple of things this morning. We want to remember the cross of Jesus, as this is the beginning of Holy Week, and today, of course, is Palm Sunday. But also, we want to think about the Lord's table. We want to think about communion, the Lord's Supper, and specifically how we are to come to uh, the table. And so, as we enter into this Holy Week, it's a good time to reflect on the price of our salvation. It's a good time to recommit ourselves to the Lord, especially if we're not where we should be in our walk with him. And if you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, what better time to trust him as savior by placing your faith in him during the most holy and sacred time of remembrances as we celebrate the cross and the empty tomb. And so let us be open today, friends, to whatever it is that the spirit is in pressing on our hearts today. Will you do that with me this morning? Let's be open to what the Lord is doing. And so we want to read John chapter 19, verses 17 through 30 this morning. We're going to pick back up in Mark the first Sunday in April. But for this Sunday and next, as it is the holy time of Easter and and Palm Sunday this week, just take a little break from that. Uh, But John 19, verses 17 through 30. And if you would, in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you're able, please stand as I read that for you. The Bible says, and he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. And now the tunic was without seam, worn, worn from, the top in one, from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things." Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw, therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let's pray. 
Father, we are thankful for the reading of your word this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would just take the word and apply it to our hearts and lives. And Lord, you know that we're anticipating and expecting you to do great things in our hearts and our lives this morning. Uh, Lord, as we remember this awesome price that has been paid for our salvation, but also, Father, as we come to the table, uh, Lord, may you just have your way. Lord, let us put aside the distractions of life for just a few moments that we may focus in on what you are saying to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that we would be open and receptive to your spirits working in our lives. And Lord, we pray where we need to be convicted, that you would convict us. Where we need to be comforted, comfort us. Where we need to be called out, Lord, call us out. But Lord, may you have your way in every heart and life this morning. And Lord, we pray for you to work in our lives in profound ways. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we remember the cross, the first thing that we see in this passage really is found there in verse 17. In verse 17, it tells us, and he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Now, as we think about it, I just want us to just pause And think about that first verse just for a moment. According to the scripture, Jesus, who knew all things, as you remember, he knew what was in a person. He knew what was in man, the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that he he knew what people were thinking. And so Jesus knew what was coming And yet knowing the pain that was to come, the torment that was to come, the death that awaited him, he, it says, and he, the king of kings, the creator, God in human flesh, he went out bearing his cross and went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. He was crucified. Jesus, knowing all things, bore his cross and went to the place called Golgotha and they crucified him. We have to pause and think, what wondrous love is this? What wondrous love is this that God, our creator, would bear his cross for us? Which brings us really to our first point as we remember the cross, and that is the reason. The reason of the cross. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he go to the cross for us? What is the reason of the cross? Well, since the Garden of Eden, man has been separated from holy God because of our sin. We are all sinners and there is none righteous, no, not one. Because of sin, listen, because of sin, we are under the penalty of sin, which is death. Because of sin, we are condemned. Because of sin, we are guilty. Because of sin, we are under the wrath of God and our sin must be judged. And because of sin... Everyone deserves death, eternal separation from God in a literal place called hell. But God, but God, 
gave us hope. Even in the garden, given a promise that he would send a sacrifice to take the punishment that we deserved. But until that time came, they would sacrifice innocent lambs, showing their repentance from sin and faith in that future sacrifice from God that was to come, who would bear their penalty. And that future sacrifice would be Jesus. His promise reveals his plan to mankind. Our sovereign creator God loved us and he had a plan for our salvation. Listen, we could not save ourselves because we are sinners. And he could not just sweep our sins under the rug. That would be unjust of a holy God. No, someone had who had never sinned would have to pay the penalty of sin who did not deserve it. Someone would have to take our place and that someone, friends, was Jesus. God's perfect son who died once for all. God himself provided the only sacrifice who could atone or pay for our sins. God's perfect son fulfilled God's perfect requirement of God's perfect law. Here it is in its simplest form in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, friends, this was God's perfect plan. And today, as we remember the cross, we remember that every detail of this awesome event was fulfilled, even to the smallest detail of verse 24. Did you notice that? They said, the soldiers said, therefore, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, talking about his garment. And there further, it tells us there, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, therefore the soldiers did these things. So even the smallest details that had been preordained and, and God had prophesied these things that would take place, even to the smallest detail of the garment that would not be torn to pieces, it has all come to fruition. The reason for the cross is, friends, that it, is, it accomplished God's perfect plan. He took our condemnation that we deserve and by faith we receive his righteousness. The reason of the cross is to reconcile us to God. It is to forgive us of our sin. It is to bring us to God. It is to show his love for us and it is to absorb the wrath of God that we deserve. You see, friends, our sin may not look like a big deal to us. But before holy God, our sin is grievous, it is scandalous, it is wicked, and it is rebellion against him. Our sin separates us from holy God. Because we are sinners, we are under the wrath of God. John 3.36 tells us that he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so what happened there on the cross is that Jesus on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God for us. That is a much better word, absorbing the wrath of God, than maybe abolish 
You see, to abolish sounds almost like he simply waved a wand or just spoke and God's wrath had disappeared. But that is not what happened, friends. Jesus on the cross absorbed the wrath of God for us. Wrath that rightly should be ours because of our sin. But Jesus absorbed that wrath on our behalf. You see, friends, on the cross, Jesus is the substitute for sinners. He is the, the penalty of separation from God in death is now paid for. Jesus takes our penalty and deeply experiences the abandonment and the separation from God the Father as God's wrath is poured out on Jesus Christ. And so Jesus absorbs the wrath of God that is mine. I deserve the wrath of God. And friends, you also deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus took that wrath for us. That is the heart of the gospel. That the reason for the cross is that our God wants to reconcile us to himself and it is only done through his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. That's the reason. Secondly, there is a response. How do we then respond to the cross? How are we to respond to what Jesus has done? And we see there are two ways here in the scripture of responding to the cross. The first one is seen in verse 23 and 24. We alluded to it just a moment ago, but let's look at it again. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each a soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. And so what we see here is that these soldiers here are having one response that many people have today. And what's the response of the soldiers? They, they're, they're, they're at the foot of the cross, And they're casting lots for a garment. There is apathy to the cross and what is taking place. The soldiers are absolutely absolutely at this moment unmoved at what is taking place as God, the Savior Jesus, is upon the cross. They are unmoved. They could care less about the cross. even Even though this is the one event that will affect history and change lives for all time. Even though this is that event that prophets had longed for, even though it had been planned since the beginning of time, these soldiers around the cross were simply unmoved and they are playing games at the foot of the cross. How sad, friends, and yet how that is still true Today, though people see the evidence of Jesus Christ, they can see the power of the cross in people's lives, and yet many will still reject him and are in essence still playing games at the foot of the cross, often more concerned about the trivial matters than what Jesus has done for us. And that's one response. 
And maybe you're here today and that's been your response. You just do this church thing because it's what you do on Sunday and the cross really has no effect upon you, sort of like the soldiers. But there is a second response in verse 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home and so what is the response here and here it is here we see the devotion the devotion of four women and one disciple for that one who is on the cross we see these people here in these verses who are standing by the cross who are committed to Jesus no matter the cost to their lives they are standing by the cross no matter the ridicule in which they may face they are standing by the cross they will stand by the cross because they love the one who is on the cross and they were devoted to him and friends that is the proper response to the cross. It is to come to the one who died on the cross for us. And as we come to him, we are to love him and we are to follow him and we are to obey him. Jesus tells us we're to love the Lord. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the first and the second great command, the great commandment is that the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But also he tells us not only to love him, but we're to also to follow him. He said to them all, verse 23 of Luke 9, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. But not only are we supposed to love him and follow him, we also are to obey him. In, Luke, in John 14, 23, rather, it says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me, he says, will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. You see, friends, our proper response to the cross is that to, to come to the one who died for us on the cross to come to him and to love him and to love others, to follow him and to obey him. Basically, it is saying that we are to be totally surrendered to Jesus, totally given over to him. But also, friends, listen, not only are we to to come to him and love him and follow him and obey him, but listen, we must also, we must never forget the cross. We must never forget the cross. We may forget a lot of things in this life. Heaven help us if we forget our wife's birthday. Heaven forgive us and help us if we forget our anniversary. We may forget a lot of things, friends, but let me tell you something. We must never forget the cross, ever, because of what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus, knowing how we are, has instituted a practical way for us to remember the cross and what all Jesus has done for us on the cross. And it's called the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, it tells us here, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we are to, as we come to the table, we are to remember the price that is paid for us and never forget this price that Jesus paid for our salvation to cleanse us from our sin. But also we see in the next part of that passage in 1 Corinthians 11 that we must also not take this exercise lightly. That when we come to the table, it is serious business. It tells us here that we are to examine ourselves so that when we come to the table, we come to the table in a worthy manner. Let's look further, verses 27 through 32. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And so, friends, listen. As we come to the table of the Lord's Supper, we are to come as believers. Believers come to the table who have been cleansed by his blood, who who love him and who are obedient to him. As we come to this table as his believers, we are to examine ourselves with have no unconfessed sin in our lives, being reconciled one to the other, loving God and loving other people. And so as we come to the table, we must examine ourselves to make sure that we are born again believers who have a relationship with him. And then as we are acknowledged that we are indeed children of the most high God, then we are to judge ourselves to determine to see if we are clean from sin. We need to thoroughly repent of all of our sin and sinful ways or face the discipline of the Lord. And this is what we must constantly be doing. You know, as believers, we need to constantly be having our lives in check. Amen? We understand that as his children that we are forgiven already because we're his children. We're loved by him. We're forgiven by him. We're accepted by him. But friends, but sometimes in our lives, we will cling to sin for whatever reason. We will hold on to that. We will harbor that sin because it's a piece of we just do not want to let go. If there's anything like that in our lives, we need to be clean with the Lord. We need to release that and repent of that and come to him and say, Lord, I give this to you. I surrender to you. I'm sorry for this. I ask you to forgive me of this sin. I want it away from me. So we constantly are to be looking in our lives anyway, but especially as we come to the, day, to the table, as we're remembering specifically at this moment that Jesus died to cleanse us from that sin and all sin. So, friends, we need to examine our hearts, to examine our lives, and examine our relationships. So, at this point, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take that little slip of red paper. I need to ask you a few questions with that little slip of red paper. It's a blank sheet of paper, blank sheet of red paper. As you hold that piece of red paper in your hand, let me just ask you these questions. 
Is there any unfinished business that you have with the Lord? Is there any unfinished business that you have with the Lord today? Are there any unconfessed, unrepented sin in your life? If there is something, whatever it may be in your life, why not come clean with Jesus? Why not come clean with Jesus? And I'm going to ask you in a moment, as you're thinking through, is there something in my life? I just want you to take a minute to think about that. Is there something in my life that I'm holding? And I'm going to ask you to just write it down on that sheet of paper and fold it over. No one's going to look at these pieces of paper. It's only between you and the Lord. And then after we fold them over in just a few moments, we'll have you pass them to the aisle and we'll take them up and we're going to put them on the cross today. We've got some men who are going to hammer those to the cross. And so let me just ask you, is there anything in your life, any any unfinished business you have with the Lord? Let me just run across just a partial list of sins we received in our book as we went to come to the table. And just think through these and examine yourself before we come to the table. Do you have any unbelief in your life? Any doubt? Not believing in the power of God. Is there any rebellion where God has said, you must do this, but you've said, Lord, I don't want to do that. You've said no to him. Rebellion against God. Is there any pride? Any arrogance? You feel like you're right and everybody else is wrong or that person is wrong and I know I'm right. That pride, that arrogance, is there something there? Let me ask you this, friends. Is there any bitterness in your life? Is there any unforgiveness in your life? Is there any bitterness with someone in your family? Something that someone you perceive has done something to you and you cannot let it go. There's unforgiveness there. Maybe it's between you and a spouse or you and an ex-spouse or maybe it's you and a family member or maybe it's you and the church or maybe it's you and a pastor. Whatever it is, friends, if there's bitterness and unforgiveness It's time to turn it loose and give it to Jesus today. Are there sins of the tongue where you say things and it comes out before you think? Is there dishonesty, an addiction, some sexual immorality, some filthy thought life, stealing, harboring anger, hatred, idolatry, where anything is placed above the Lord. That's idolatry. Is it being a poor steward of what God has given you? Prayerlessness, maybe not praying like you know you should. Is it being disobedient to the Lord? Is there some strife, some conflict, some dissension in your life? Is it worshiping with the lips, but your heart is far from him? Is it that you have left your first love of Jesus and something else has taken that place of loving that more than him. Take just a moment, friends. Take just a moment, whatever it is in your life. And friends, if you say, oh, there's nothing in my life, then write down pride. Amen. I lie to myself. Let's pray, Father.
Only you know our hearts. Only you know what's in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that in this moment, in the very holy time, Father, that you would just reveal to each of us those areas of our lives where there is unfinished business with you. Help us to submit this to you, Lord. As we're being honest with you this morning. And so, Lord, may you help us to simply write it out on the paper and fold it over as a symbol that we are surrendering this to you, confessing this sin to you. Because you died on the cross to pay for that sin and all sin. Have your way, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Just take a moment there. Write that on that little slip of paper. I'm going to ask your ushers just to get in place at this moment. And what I'm going to ask them to do in a moment is I'm going to ask you to pass it to the aisle. And then I'm going to have an usher just come down and just take those and bring them up. So when you're done writing, just simply fold it over and then pass it to the aisle. Each, whatever aisle is fine. Okay, our usher's going to begin to receive those now. And ushers, if you would, just receive those down the aisles and just bring those up here. Now, before we come to our hymn of invitation, there's just one more aspect of remembering the cross that is vitally important, and that is the rejoicing. Amen? The rejoicing. If you look back in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we remember his death, we proclaim his death, proclaiming it until he comes. You see, as we remember the Lord and what he did for us on the cross, we also remember that the tomb is empty. Amen? It is empty. And not only that, but also we remember that he is coming again. And we rejoice because of the triumph of Jesus. In Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15, it tells us this. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, 
having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so Jesus has won the victory. The penalty of sin has been paid. And the, listen, and the power of sin has been conquered. You see, on the cross, through his unconditional love, he has conquered our hatred. On the cross, through his obedience, he has conquered our rebellion against God. On the cross, through his forgiveness, he has conquered our unforgiveness. On the cross, through his selfless act, he has conquered our self-righteousness. On the cross, through his humility, he has conquered our pride. Jesus has conquered Satan's and sin's power over us. Friends, let us no longer cling to those sins. He has taken them out of the way and nailed them to the cross. Friends, just a few minutes ago, you went through an exercise where you wrote down something on a piece of paper and it has been in our very presence nailed to the cross. But in reality, it has already been nailed to the cross some 2,000 years ago when Jesus went there for us. Sin has no power over you as a believer. So let us not cling to those sins any longer. He has taken them out of the way and nailed them to the cross. We rejoice that Jesus is the victor, that he has triumphant, that as the penalty of sin has been paid, the power of sin has been conquered. But also, friends, we can praise God because one day, one day the presence of sin will be vanquished forever as we will bow before him and see him face to face in all of his glory. Amen? We must remember the cross. What does the cross mean to you, friends? Well, friends, listen. It is where history was culminated, prophecy was fulfilled, and Satan was crushed. It is where hope is found, faith has its foundations, and love is divinely portrayed. The cross is where the Jewish leaders thought Jesus was finally defeated, where the crowds thought it was over, but God's plan was being accomplished. The cross is where the precious blood of Jesus was shed for us. The spotless lamb of God was sacrificed and the son of God, Jesus, laid down his life. The cross is where my sin penalty was paid for. Sin lost its power and my hope was made secure. Friends, I don't know about you, but I will stand by that old rugged cross and never forget what Jesus has done for me until my heart pumps the last ounce of blood through my veins and my lungs breathe out the last for the last time. Friends, I will cling to that cross of Christ because it is there that my life was changed and I received the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life and the peace that passes all under. Understanding, Friends, I will cling to the cross. I will cling to the cross. The question this morning, friends, is what does the cross mean to you? If you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation.
See the cross for what it is, that it is where Jesus loves you. God loves you. And he made a way for you to be made right with him and to be with him eternally. Have a relationship with him. Come to him today. It's a step of faith. Acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a savior. Turning from our sin and turning to Jesus, that's repentance. Saying, Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Embracing, believing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross and rose again bodily from the grave and professing him as the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, friends, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation to turn your heart and life over to him because he's calling you and he loves you. But Christian, you're here today, you already know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Why not recommit your life to him today? Why not ask him to renew that passion for him? Maybe there's relationships that you need to restore. That needs to happen. Maybe it's just you need to walk right with Jesus. But whatever the case may, my friends, be sure to ask the Lord as he works in your heart and be obedient as he calls us to faithfulness to him and to live for him daily. But as we come to this time of invitation, whatever it is that God is dealing with you about, Make it right with him today. Renew that walk. Recommit that life and ask him to give you a greater passion for him. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for what you are doing in our midst today. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to move us and guide us and direct us. Lord, we pray for your leadership. Lord, as we come to this invitation, Lord, that you would help us to just lay it all on the line for you to step forward and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus or to step forward and say, I want to recommit my life to Jesus. I want to be obedient to what he's dealing with me about. I've laid the sin aside already. It's been nailed to the cross, but I want to just recommit my life to him. I want to be obedient. I want to love him. I want to follow him greatly. So Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning of what you have done. May you continue to work, even in this invitation time, to draw people to yourself. For all of us, Lord, need to place you first and foremost. And, oh, God, how I pray, revive us again, oh, Lord. Renew our hearts, awaken lost souls, and have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.